And if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. We are going to conclude chapter 4 in this prophet this evening as we consider verses 11 through 19. And if you need a copy of the scriptures, you can find one in the seat pocket in front of you on your row, Lord willing. Hosea chapter 4, verses 11 through 19. And as we prepare to consider God's word, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would open it to our hearts and to our eyes, to our understanding. Lord, we pray that you would teach us and help us to see the great dangers, the deadly dangers of idolatry, the deadly dangers of spiritual adultery. May you press those ever deeper in our hearts this evening, we pray. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Here now, the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. Harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols, and their staff informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills, under oaks, poplars, and terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Beth Aven, nor swear an oath, saying, As the Lord lives, for Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. And thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, when the knowledge of God is gone from the land, when truth and mercy were once present and diminished, there should be cause for great concern. And that concern shouldn't only be on the outcome and the reality of their absence, but also on the reasons behind their disappearance. What, and importantly, who was responsible for such a tragedy? This is what God pointedly addressed through Hosea as he brought his charge against Israel. 
And what did God say this tragedy looked like? After turning their backs on God and chasing after the Baals, in addition to their adulterous hearts, the people had fallen into doing terrible things like what? Like lying and stealing, even killing others. God said that they had broken all restraint. And in transgressing five parts and points of God's law, they had transgressed the whole law. And therefore, what would God bring against them as punishment? The land would mourn and would waste away, he said. The beauties of creatures and God's creation would be taken away. Again, what or who was responsible for this? Indeed, the people were responsible for their own sin. However, God also shines light on the sins and the failure of the priests to lead, nurture, and discipline in the ways of the Lord and according to his law. And what was even worse is that the priests not only failed in this way, but also lived in their own sins, encouraging the people to continue in theirs as well. It was a serious matter when the leaders of God's people fail and fall, and it continues to be so today. God holds such men accountable, and he doesn't turn a blind eye to either their actions or their failure to act as they are. And further, this is a serious matter that sadly not only has severe consequences for the leaders involved, but also for the people as they wander and they wallow, unchecked and unshepherded. And therefore, the people and the priests would stumble. Whether it be day or night, it didn't matter. They would stumble as the blind leading the blind into a ditch together. God said that the priests would be punished and shamed, and Israel would be destroyed and brought to ruin. As God so aptly put it, all would be punished for their ways and rewarded for their deeds. And as scripture teaches us, the wages of sin is death. Their just reward for their sin would be far from what was pleasant to them. And so God continues here in tonight's text to communicate more details of his case regarding their spiritual adultery and harlotry. So let's consider what the Lord says about enslavers of the heart in verses 11 through 13. No punishment coming to brides and daughters in verse 14, as well as Israel's rebellion in verses 15 through 19. Look at what he says regarding enslavers of the heart beginning in verse 11. He says, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. Now, my friends, adding to the list of sins that Israel had problems with, God points out their addiction to drink, to wine. Similar to their spiritual whoredom, many in Israel struggled with indulging in too much alcohol to the extent that it impaired their judgment. The words regarding enslaving the heart that God uses in the Hebrew literally communicates that the wine had taken their hearts away. Remember what King Lemuel's mother taught him in Proverbs 31, verses 3 and 4. 
He said, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes intoxicating drink, lest, look at verse 5, they drink and forget the law, and pervert the justice of all the afflicted, and indeed what was happening in Israel, these very things. Their God they had forgotten. Their law was dismissed. His law was dismissed. There was no knowledge of him or his law in the land, and it showed in their terrible sins. And lest we forget the danger, God's people also need to remember the truths of Proverbs 23, verses 30 through 35. We read there, Those who linger long at the wine... Those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Notice verse 32. At the last, it bites like a serpent, and it stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Or like one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, They have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Right? The blindness, the numbness, even physically and mentally, that overindulging in alcohol and drunkenness brings here, the failure in judgment. Right, is what's in view here, the, the danger, the forgetfulness. And so as the knowledge of God was gone from the land, and by their course of sin, both priests and people disabled themselves in their physical and spiritual inebriation. To rightly discern between good and evil, that's something that they weren't doing, between what is safe and what is dangerous. They weren't doing that well either. And we can understand this today as well. When someone is drunk, what's true? They're more quickly apt to walk into sin and danger than when they were sober and in their right mind. And therefore, we must be mindful and prayerful that we would keep the fruit of self-control and discernment active in our daily lives. That we wouldn't come under the addictive influence of any part of Enslaver, but that we would be sober and wise in obedience to Christ. You know, God through Hosea goes on to provide two examples then of spiritual adultery within Israel, both of which gave honor to their idols that is due to God only. Look at verse 12 in Hosea 4. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols. And their staff informs them, for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray, and they have played the harlot against their God. Beloved, see how the people were so deceived by a spirit of harlotry, an intoxicating and seductive power that drew them astray. See that in the, the strength of this seduction, their priests performed wicked methods of divination with dead, inanimate wood statues. 
that they had turned into idols. And they turned these piece, they turned to these pieces of wood for what? For counsel. Wait, what? Right? And what counsel did they seek? They desired to know the future. They, did, they desired to know what would happen to them and what would come upon them. And even as God brought strong words to them through Hosea of the coming judgment against them, God didn't hide what was happening to them or what would happen to them. He didn't hide that from them. In fact, he spoke to it very strongly, very pointedly, very specifically so that they would wake up and see and repent and turn to him. Yet they went to their wooden idols for counsel. What would happen? What would come upon them? Even as God brought these things in their blindness, they didn't want to believe him. And so they sought comfort and insight from another. They desired to flatter themselves with lies to appease their guilt and their fear. They wanted to convince themselves that things wouldn't be as bad as the prophet said it would be. And so they, th they sought counsel from the statues that the priests consulted and desired that their corrupt priests would give them hope. Tell us it's better, priests. Tell us we're going to be okay. Tell us that Hosea was completely wrong. And further God said, notice their staff informed them now what does this mean? God is referring to another kind of forbidden consultation with the devil that was frequently used by the pagans in the area. They believed their false prophets gave prophetic words from this staff. And so they would consult the staff and the staff would inform them. We learn more about this in Nebuchadnezzar's actions. In Ezekiel 21, 21, we read there, For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road, at the fork of two roads, to use divination. He shakes the arrows, and that's really what scholars believe the staff was that they were referring to. He shakes the arrows, he consults the images, and he looks at the liver doing all this to supposedly divine what would be the future for Babylon. And yet, what is God's command? We, we see these treacherous violations of God's law, and as they've chased after their lovers, as they've, as they've gone to their idols, they have broken God's law. What does God command? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of every, anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Strike and strike for Israel. For they broke both, among others. And now the second example of Israel's Spiritual adultery was evident in their idol worship. Look at verse 13a. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills, under the oaks, the poplars, and the terebinths. 
because their shade is good. So my friends, the people sinfully offered sacrifices to these wooden idols on altars that they had erected in the mountains and the hills. And notice two things here. What they offered and where they offered it. What they offered, they offered sacrifice and incense. They offered sacrifices because they wanted their idols' favor. And they should have been concerned about God and His favor and His grace, His blessing. They wanted to atone and to pacify their idols. They burned incense in order to please and gratify them. Counterfeit worship. That is what all idolatry brings us to. Counterfeit worship. Again, what was due to God alone was being offered to others. And where they offered it, notice they offered it on the high places and the shady places. Now, keep in mind that the people sadly saw it, if you remember back in previous sermons, what was one of the sins that they committed in their worship. They sought to be synchronistic in their worship of both God and their idols on altars erected on these mountaintops and in the hills. And why the mountaintops and the hills? Well, the people foolishly believed that high places brought them closer to heaven, closer to God. And the shady places were places where it was cool and it was a reprieve from the blistering sun and the heat. So it was a comfortable place to offer such things. And therefore, because of such practices, notice what Hosea says in 13b. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry, and your brides commit adultery. Similar to how we saw the multi-generational impact of sin in verse 6 of this chapter, and God telling Israel that because the people forgot his law, he would forget their children. Here we find God saying that because of the people's spiritually adulterous and idolatrous acts, their daughters and their brides would continue in the same sin. And they would bring great grief and reproach to their parents and their husbands, respectively. And though this would be true, God said something that we may find surprising. Look at what he says in 14a. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery. Now as we hear these words, we may be thinking to ourselves, well, wait a minute, hasn't he been saying the opposite all along? And, and why wouldn't God punish them for such sin? My friends, God wouldn't correct them. He wouldn't punish them because he would make an example of them as he would expose them in their sinful shame, which would also bring shame upon their parents and husbands. They would be left to the depravity of their own hearts and the lust of others. Consider what the Lord promises to those who despise him in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. And what would stand firm? We read there, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, 
I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. They would experience shame for their sin. They would be exposed, using the language that we've heard earlier in this prophet. Their nakedness would be set before all. They would be exposed and shamed for their treacherous acts, and they would left, be left to their depravity. And, and yet God also then shines light, though, that these sins are all in the family. Look at 14b, the second half of that verse. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. Therefore, the people who do not understand will be trampled. Beloved, tragically, the daughters and brides, fathers and husbands, weren't innocent and pure themselves. They too were living in the lust of their flesh, even offering sacrifices and feasting with prostitutes. With ritual harlots. And therefore, God promised that those who lacked understanding, that those who lacked the eyes to see and the ears to hear, would fall. Beloved, ignorance is ultimately of no weight in God's justice. Those who continue in and don't turn from their sin and unto Christ will come under eternal judgment. Israel ultimately would be defeated and go to into exile, we see, in temporal judgment. And yet in verse 15, then, we also see Hosea's words about Israel's rebellion. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal, nor go up to Bethaven. Nor swear an oath, saying, as the Lord lives. Here, though Israel was deep in their sin, a warning went out to Judah because of this. To the two tribes, to not commit the same sins as Israel did, or any others for that matter. Judah was called to remain faithful to God and to not backslide or to not fall into the same or similar idolatry. Don't imitate Israel, was the call to Judah. Don't do it. And further, what was true of Judah? Judah had the temple where they needed to be faithful in worshiping God. And therefore, they, they must not go up to Gilgal, which was the place chosen by Jeroboam, a place known for the public worship of idols. They were not to go up to Bethaven, which was otherwise named Bethel, house of God, where Jacob had the vision of the angels. Yet again, Jeroboam defamed it by making it the place where he conducted calf worship. And the name of the place was then later changed from Bethel to Bethaven, which means the house of vanity and iniquity. And thirdly, they weren't to swear the oath as the Lord lives. 
Now, this was a lawful oath. However, they were forbidden to swear an untruth and unrighteousness. They were forbidden to swear rashly or lightly or even swearing by the Lord and the idol. And so Judah was given such a warning due to the nature and severity of Israel's rebellion. See both the metaphors and the divine actions that God gives in speaking about their rebellion. Look at verse 16. For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Any of you who have been around branches and cattle know the stubbornness of cattle, even the stubbornness of young calves. For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in open country. Remember how God referred to his people as a stiff-necked people in Exodus 32, verse 9. And in their sinning, they were like an untamed calf or a heifer buckling up and, and, and bucking up against and trying to break down the barriers, etc., and therefore, in punishment, God would treat them like a scared little lamb in a huge open pasture where there is no rest. There is no safety of the flock or of the shepherd. Here that little lamb is exposed. No provision for that lamb. And this is how the Lord describes how he would let them forage. They would be in fear. They would be unprotected. They would be exposed. They were stubborn. They were rebellious. He goes on in verses 17 and 18 to say, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let them alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. What a list of traits that no one should ever want to have to describe them. This was true of them. Here God points to Israel's idolatry that largely came from the influence of Jeroboam. He was the idolater that rose up, we see in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26. And from Jeroboam's reign on, for over 200 years, one king after another, one idolater after another, lured the people away from God. Drives home the need for consistent, godly leadership. But one king after another, one idolater after another, lured the people away from God, and so they were to let him alone. In verse 19, we read, The wind has wrapped her up in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Beloved, the whirlwind of God's wrath would fully seize, and already had seized, some in Israel. And all the more, Judah needed to stay away as Israel would be confounded and ashamed for her idolatry and adultery. And so as we continue to consider the, 
danger and seriousness of spiritual idolatry and adultery, ask yourself, what enslavers, what lures seek to take your heart away and to turn you from Christ? Don't underestimate the influence of spiritual and physical intoxication, especially in the aspect of it leading to the edge of the cliff and you don't have the senses to know it. Especially in the aspect of you being convinced that it's okay. And it's beneficial to seek the counsel of idols and abandon your prayers to Christ, seeking his will and help. It's these kinds of things that enslavers of our hearts would seek to do. What things lure and tug you? But also see the withholding of divine punishment as a grave concern. As God did so to bring heightened exposure and public shame to the offenders here, that concern needs to be all the more. Let this also then give you a great love and a great appreciation for your Lord and Savior and the loving discipline and chastening that he carries out with you as his child. For the Lord chastens whom he loves. And pray that God will work in you to be quick to be humble and to repent of sin, quick to respond rightly to discipline when it comes and to obey his commands, and that you won't be like Israel, the stubborn cat. But also see the clear example that God allowed Israel to be, that that would be divinely appointed, that would be a divinely appointed deterrent for Judah and for us today. Look at what they were doing and learn. Look at what they were doing and learn. Don't go down the path that they did. May that be true of us on every level, individually as families as a church. May we stay true to Christ and his word, which is always the true and the right guide that will guide us in the way everlasting. And remember Paul's words to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10.6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. These things in Scripture, even these accounts of Israel's failure, are written to us as an example. And so again, what are we learning from this example? What are we paying attention to and taking with us? What is the Lord pressing into our hearts from his word this evening? Don't flee to idols. Don't turn our backs on Christ. But be ever more focused and attentive to him and faithful to him. And when we do sin, we need to turn to him quickly in humility and repentance, seeking his forgiveness, seeking to walk rightly with him. And so we need to make the same godly observations as Judah was told to. We need to hear and apply the same message that Corinth received. That indeed we would seek to be faithful in our walk with Christ. And may God give us grace to pursue holiness and to 
flee all idolatry and spiritual adultery all of our days. Amen. Praise God for His Word.